Good morning. So good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. Let me invite you to Matthew chapter 3. I mean, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 13 and through 16 this morning. I want to read that again, and then we'll jump in. You are the salt of the earth, but, that's, but, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. As we come here this morning, we're continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount. I've entitled this morning's message, Following Christ in a Fallen World. That is where we find ourselves, right? It'd be a lot easier to follow Christ in a fully redeemed world. If everybody on earth were believers, it would be a lot easier to be Christ followers, wouldn't it? But that's not earth, that's heaven. And we're not there yet. And so we live in a dark and sinful and fallen world. And we find ourselves here following Jesus, and as Jesus has pulled his disciples away, as he's gone up the mountain to sit with the disciples and and draw their attention to some things and, and share what it is that he is doing and what he desires to do, as he is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to talk to them about what they are. Now, I would draw your attention that he does not say to them, if you feel like it, be salt. And occasionally, if you desire, be light. It's not what he says, is it? He doesn't say, well, if you get to it, or if you find it preferable, or occasionally you might want to. He doesn't give them the option. I want to draw your attention. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. And so as we think about being salt and light, here's the big question. How does God want to use believers to impact this world? We do live in a dark and fallen world, and yet it is not by happenstance that we who are Christ followers find ourselves right where we are. God has placed us where we are. He has called us to where we are, and he wants to use us where we are. And so the first thing I want us to see is the believer's role as salt. You are salt. You who are Christ followers, you ought to think of yourself as salt. When we think of salt, we know immediately what the uses are for salt, right? We we know how important salt is. It's everywhere. We use it all the time. I was sharing uh, earlier, one of my children uh, didn't know the difference between salted butter and unsalted butter, and we had some unsalted butter left, and she pulled the unsalted butter out and was buttering her toast. Now, you talk about an exercise and a waste of time. Why would you butter your toast with unsalted butter? So we know the impact that salt has. I want us to think about the purpose of salt. Why is it that Jesus might look at his followers and say, ye are the salt of the earth? You are the salt of the earth. Why would he call us salt? Well, there are lots of uses for salt. In fact, one commentator that I read said there may be as many as 11 different uses for salt that would be applicable to what Jesus was saying. I don't have time to go through all of those, so I'm going to hit the top three, the three that I think make most application to our lives. But, but it's flavor. So much of what we eat and so much of what we experience already has salt on it, 
that when we come to something that does not have salt, it immediately stands out. Uh, I, I was thinking, I, I, I was at a restaurant. We picked up food from a restaurant at work this week, and uh, one of the sides that I got, I was trying to be good and healthy, was broccoli. But as I started to eat that broccoli, there was no salt on that broccoli. It was, it was awful. Uh, I'm not sure that, that broccoli brings glory to God very often, but it certainly does not bring glory to God when it has no salt on it. And so immediately I began to look for some salt because it added flavor to the broccoli. Flavor is important. And so when we think about the idea of flavoring food, we, see, we certainly get the understanding of what Jesus is saying. We live in a dark, sinful, dying, decaying world, and we who follow Jesus are to be the flavor in this world, the flavor of Jesus. We're to bring meaning and hope and point to Jesus. We're to be that salt. This world is a difficult place, but we who are Christians, we have the hope. We know what this life is all about. We ought to be out there having a great impact just like salt does on the issue of food. But secondly is as a preservative. My grandfather was born in 1909. If my math is correct, I believe he would have been 113 years old now if he were alive. And, and so he was born in 1909. Uh, refrigeration really happened shortly after his birth in, in, a, in, in some specific areas, but did not really come into to the way we understand it until decades after his birth. And so in the 90s, I can remember when we, one time we started doing this, um, we started going to Cracker Barrel and buying salt-cured hams. And we would take them to my grandfather, and he would be so excited. He would say, I, this, is what, this is the way things were done when I was a boy. I can't wait to have this. I remember the first time we did it. I was excited because my family had picked it up. I thought, well, this is meaningful to my grandfather. This is going to be great. I can't wait to share this experience with my grandfather. So we went, we prepared the ham, we cut the ham, and he was like, this just brings back memories of being a boy. And then I went to eat the ham, and I thought, I can't eat this. This is so salty. Why would anybody do this? I didn't eat it. I didn't enjoy it from that moment forward. Every time we got a salt-cured ham from my papa, we got something else for the rest of the family. We didn't have those fond memories. But why were they curing? Why were they putting the salt around the hams, around the meat? Because there was no refrigeration, and if they did not do it, disease and rot would overtake the meat. You see, salt is a preservative. When we think about the death and decay and sinfulness of the world around us, boy, that idea of being salt really speaks, doesn't it? Preventing decay. Have you thought about yourself as salt in that format? You see, we live in a world that is running after sin. Uh, they don't care about sin. They don't even stop and think, boy, this isn't right. I shouldn't do it. They're running after sin with everything that they can. And we who are believers are called to be salt. We're called to be out there preventing decay. We're called to be out there calling attention to truth. We're called to be out there pointing to Jesus. I remember before I came to Christ, I, I was absolutely unaware. I had never heard. I may have heard it with my ears, but I'd never heard the idea that I was a sinner. I'd never even stopped to think about sin twice. I mean, and I was becoming pretty good at it. I had never stopped to think this is not pleasing to God. I hadn't given that a second thought. It wasn't until a friend invited me to church and I heard the gospel preached that suddenly it started to dawn on me that 
I was a sinner. You see, we live in a world full of people that are running after sin and don't even realize it. They don't even realize that they're lost, that this world is a sinful place. They don't even realize that they need Jesus. The good news is God has put us here as Christ followers to go out and tell them it is our job. Not optional, not if you want to, not if you'd get to it. Here's the truth, believer. You are the salt of the earth. You're desperately needed. The third, the third way that we see salt used is purification. Actually, in Leviticus, there is a verse where it talks about salt being added to a burning sacrifice to bring purity. The idea of salt being pure probably has its foundation with its being white. Often things that are, are white and without blemish have this idea of purity, but it was used and added to specific particular sacrifices and would be burned in those sacrifices to have this idea of purification. Do we live in a pure world? Do we live in a pure society? I want you to think about it. I think we crossed 8 billion people on this planet this past year. I think it's 100,000 people that live in unincorporated Lakeland. Statistics tell us that the vast majority of those two numbers are lost, that they're far away from God, that they may be living in sin and have no idea. But here's the good news. God has put us here to be the salt of the earth. So it's flavor, it's preservative, it's purification. So that's the purpose of being salt. But what is the danger? Look with me, if you will, at verse 13 again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? I'm going to give an illustration, and I know we don't have any restaurants like this here in Polk County, but I've been in other places before. You ever been in a restaurant where the salt shaker looks like it hasn't been touched in about 40 years? It's got some salt in there. Maybe some moisture has gotten in that salt shaker, and it's all clumped together. And no matter how many times you shake it, the salt won't come out. And if it did come out, you wouldn't want it touching your food anyway. I think that's the illustration here. When believers refuse to be what they ought to be, when they refuse to do what God has called them to do, when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, and we go, yeah, no thanks, not really interested in that, we're that salt shaker that has no purpose. We've got one job as salt shakers, and that's to get the salt out. There are a lot of us that are refusing to get the salt out. We understand that we live in a lost and dying world, but we're here, we're in church, and we're in the family of God. So we've made it, and we're good. Never mind that we live in a lost and dying world who desperately needs to hear about Jesus. I want you to hear what he says about salt that has lost its saltiness. It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It is useless. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, hoping that we would have the flavor of Christ, that we would be a preservative to the death and decay that we see in this world, that we would be a purifying agent to those who are lost and sinning. Reminds me of the idea that Paul talks about, we're the aroma of God. Some aromas are good and some aromas are not, aren't they? Um, a couple of weeks ago, my wife was making Mississippi pot roast. I love Mississippi pot roast. You walk into the house, and that's been cooking there in the crock pot, and it just, the smell is glorious. 
my mouth starts to water, and I don't want to wait, and I go over to the crock pot, and it's ready. Let's eat now, like right now. No, right now. Kids go wash, and the aroma starts to cause my mouth to water. But there are negative aromas also, aren't there? I won't go too negative, but I'll... I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> all right, some of you got ahead of me, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going there, so let's come back, Okay. Bath and Body Works. Anybody ever been in there? Everybody know what I'm talking about? Lotions, candles, plug-ins, I don't know, hand sanitizer, a million things with a million scents, right? I can't go in the store. I have allergies to certain scents, to colognes and to perfumes and to certain things. If I walk into that store, immediately my nose begins to run and my eyes begin to water. They, they think, sir, are you okay? It looks like I'm boohooing right there in the store. So I don't go in there. I sit on the little bench outside until Bethany and the girls come out, and then I'll help them carry. But we have to be careful. She's bought the, plug, she's bought the plug-ins in our house, and if we get the wrong scent, uh, I, I just I can't stay in our house. I have to leave. I said, it's either me or the plug-in. I can't do this. I can't live. Certain aromas have negative smells, and so we understand this idea of flavoring or scenting the world around us. We're called to be the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. When we go to our family gatherings, we're called to be the aroma of Christ. We're called to be the salt of the earth. When we go to work, we're called to have that flavoring effect. When we go to meet strangers, wherever we might go throughout our day, we're called to have that flavoring effect. We're called to carry Jesus with us wherever we go. The believer's role is salt. But secondly, I want us to see the believer's role as light. Look with me, if you will, again at verses 14 and following. Again, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. I, I, when I read this verse again, preparing for this message, I was reminded several years ago, I went to Peru uh, on a mission trip. Now, all that I knew about Peru before I went is I had seen pictures of the Amazon rainforest and how green and lush it was and how beautiful it was. And so I'm going to, I'm going to Peru and thinking this is what I'm going to see. We fly into Lima, we land there, and then we get on a bus and we head the opposite direction from the rainforest. And we end up very quickly outside of Lima into a desert. I have never seen so much sand in all of my life. We just drove and drove and drove. And I just thought, I'd love to see grass again, just any grass. I don't even care what kind of grass it is. I'd love to see something green. I'd love to see a tree with some leaves. We just drove and drove and drove and drove through the sand. After we'd driven for hours... Finally, as the sun had gone down and it was dark, we started to see just a few little lights up ahead. What it ended up being were these two small towns that we were going to do mission work in, up in the mountains, but even far away, we could see just a few lights. And it's not like Lakeland where you have lights everywhere, but it was just a few. Even there, on the other side of a desert, just a few light bulbs from a couple of towns it shone bright into the darkness. You see, we are the city on a hill. Scott Lake Baptist Church is the city on the hill. We have the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we live in a dark Polk County, and we live in a dark Lakeland. We live among people who are lost and dying in darkness, and they need us to be the light. They need us to be the light in providing services where we speak and preach and sing about Jesus but not just be the light here, but to be the light as we break up and go out. 
You see, Lakeland and Polk County need us desperately to be the light when we go about our life this week. You think about all the people that are here, all the people that are over in the gym, the folks who were at the early service. Think about all the different places we will go this week. Generally, we're about 320 people on Sunday morning. 320 people. I don't know that all of them are believers. In fact, statistics would tell us no, it's not. But let's just say 200. 200 believers that everywhere they go this week will be the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our city and our county and our state and our country desperately needs us to do this. So we understand the purpose of light. If we were to turn all the lights off here and it suddenly get dark, we would desperately want what? In fact, we'd probably reach for our phones. I used my phone this morning and when I was in the house. I get up early, I leave early, my family's still asleep. I was trying to find my keys, and I had, I'd set them out on the nightstand, and my, my wife was still asleep, and I was in there trying to not have much light in the room so I could find my wallet my keys. We would desperately pull out light if we were in darkness. So we know the purpose of light is to remove darkness. John calls Jesus the light in John chapter 1. And it is as we reflect and carry the light of Jesus that we fulfill our role as being the light of the world. We are called to carry Jesus. So we know the purpose of light, but what is the danger? That we don't shine our light. I've got a couple illustrations of this. Maybe some of it will apply. Men, let me ask you something. How many flashlights do you have at your house? Okay, so good, I got some laughs. Some of you are going, I have no idea. Uh, about 14 more than I normally need, but they're all over the place. Why? They're like tape measures, right? We have 14 of them because whenever we need them, we can't find them. Now, we store, li- we store flashlights everywhere. I was tempted to gather all the flashlights up around my house. I have flashlights in my shed. I have flashlights in my kitchen. I have flashlights in my laundry room. I have flashlights attached to my refrigerator. I have flashlights out in the garage. I have flashlights next to the bed. I have flashlights everywhere. Several months ago, Hurricane Ian came through, and we lost uh, power for about four days. My first thing I did is I went to the refrigerator. We have a red and gray flashlight that has a magnet on the back of it, on the, on the side of it, and it is connected to our refrigerator. I grabbed that flashlight, and I thought, huh, it seems a little, a little light. It's a little light here. And I flicked on that on, and nothing happened. There were no batteries in that flash. I have this flashlight magnetically stuck to the side of my refrigerator for moments exactly like that, and there were no batteries in it. Now, the good news is, is I had three more on top of the refrigerator. I have one by my nightside stand, and I have one in the laundry room that actually doesn't take batteries. It has a crank on it in case I've forgotten about all the batteries and all the flashlights. Here's the illustration. There are a whole lot of us in churches all over the world that follow Jesus, but we're a whole lot like that red and gray flashlight stuck to the side of my refrigerator. Jesus wants to use us to penetrate the darkness of the world around us, and we won't shine our light. We're called to be the light of the world, but sometimes we're the lamp underneath the basket. We won't talk about Jesus to a neighbor. We're not even praying for our neighbors. We won't talk to a family member about sin. We're not even praying for our family members. We won't talk to a stranger. We've not even asked God to lead us to strangers so that we could tell them about Jesus. We're like that flashlight that won't shine. 
Now, maybe all of your flashlights in your house are batteried up and you're ready to go. Here's the sad thing. I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the sermon. I'm not sure I ever put batteries in that flashlight, and here I am. I know the effects of an empty flashlight, and it's still hanging on my refrigerator. I had another illustration recently. I think it was this past week. I was driving on Lakeland Highlands Boulevard, and uh, there was a car coming the other direction. I didn't realize there was a car coming the other direction until the very last moment because it did not have its headlights on at night. And I thought how scary that was. I don't know if they just were unaware that their headlights were not on. I don't know if it was their headlights weren't working. But all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with how scary and dangerous it was because the lights on the front of the vehicle were not working. You see, I had my lights on, but I could not see them because all of the darkness that surrounded me. There are people walking in darkness all around us. And Jesus has called us and made us the light of the world. And far too many of us are walking through this world without our headlights on. We are not there to shine the light of Jesus all around us. There are people who desperately need us to tell them about Jesus. There are people who desperately need the light of the world And if we're just going through the motions in our life, if we're just living life for ourselves, if we're just trying to seek happiness for ourselves, we won't spend much time contemplating how we are the light of the world. A flashlight has one job. How ridiculous that I would take the batteries out of a flashlight and never put new ones back in. But Even how more ridiculous is it that we who are called the light of the world would live here knowing the truth about Jesus, and never go out and shine as lights for him. Look at verse 16. Here was the question that we started with. How does God want to use believers to impact this world? Verse 16 is a beautiful answer to that. In the same way. In what way? He says in verse 15, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way. Let your light shine before others. How are we to do that? Notice what he says next. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We need to be praying and contemplating how we might serve those around us. Now, I know that nobody in this room has difficult co-workers, and I know that nobody in this room has difficult family members, and I know that nobody in this room has difficult neighbors, But might it be that God has put you at the business that you're at and put you in the neighborhood that you are at and put you in the family where you are at so that he might use you as a light for him? Yes, they're difficult. They're lost and they're dying and they live in a fallen world and they're far from God and they don't even know it. Sure, they're difficult. Yes, they're mean. But they're lost. Have you contemplated how it is that you might serve them how you might do good to them, how you might pray for them, how you might show them kindness, how you might pour out the mercy of God in their lives. Here's what I know. If we who are the light of the world get serious about being light, if we get serious about doing good works for Jesus, if we get serious about serving those around us, if we get serious about pouring out kindness and mercy and grace, It'll stand out. Like people will notice. 
They'll start going, well, what's wrong with you? Like, I was mean to you, and you forgave me, and you didn't even say anything. You didn't even have a bad attitude the next day at work. Like, you were just nice. Like, you've been nice every day this week. I've been trying to be mean to you, and you've just been kind. What is wrong with you? Why are you the way that you are? By the way, that's a great opportunity to say, well, Jesus has changed everything in my life. Why is it that we should serve the difficult people? Why is it that we should love our enemies? Why is it that we should be kind even when they're not? Because we have a role, we have a function, we have a purpose. Jesus has said, if you're my follower, then you are the salt of the earth. If you are my follower, then you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works not pat you on the back and give glory to your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you've called us, and we are yours. Lord Jesus, as you gathered your disciples around there and started the Sermon on the Mount, you did not say, if you feel like it, if you get to it, if you want to, be salt and light. No, you said very clearly that we are salt and we are light. God, I pray that we're not salt shakers that are all caked up and have lost their flavor. God, I pray that we're not flashlights with no batteries. God, I pray that we are your followers who are representing you well in a lost and dying world. God, maybe this week we'd be prayerfully considering those around us. We'd be asking you how you might want us to serve how you might want us to use good works to draw attention to the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe this week, right where you've put us, right where you've placed us, maybe we can be salt and light. And maybe there are those who are here this morning and they don't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Maybe they, through the preaching of the word this morning, have come to understand that they're a sinner and that they're lost and that their only hope is Jesus Lord, maybe during this invitation time, there are some decisions that need to be made. We pray that you would work as you see fit. It is in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. During this invitation time, if the Lord's laid a decision on your heart, I'd love to pray with you. The altars are open here. You can come and pray, but we'd love to talk with you and pray with you about what God is doing in your life. We're going to stand and sing hymn number 294, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Would you stand with me, please?
go. Let me ask you to be seated for a moment. Uh, I want to go over something with you, uh, something that you need to be aware of and be mindful of. Uh, in your bulletin, hopefully you've gotten one and you noticed that there is a sample ballot. Now, we have a, a special called business meeting coming up next Sunday night. Next Sunday night, uh, after the, well, it's kind of during the end of the evening service, uh, we'll have an abbreviated service and then we'll go into business. Um, we will have a report from the nominating committee. We'll be uh, electing new people to serve on committees. Uh, there will also be a report from the deacons. I think there are some deacons who have uh, rotated off that are going to be rotating back on, and so we'll vote on that. But the special called part of our business meeting is to vote on, as a church, who will serve on the pastor search committee. So this is the sample ballot. And we want to make sure that everybody's clear exactly what we're voting on, why we're voting on it, and how we're voting on it. So this is a sample ballot. I want you to know I'm going to be using mine this way. I'm taking it home, and I'm going to be praying. Bethany and I pray every morning, and so as we pray, we're going to be praying over our ballot and praying about this. I want to read a couple of things. It says, the purpose of the pastor search committee. The pastor search committee carries the heavy and sacred responsibility of seeking the Lord on behalf of the congregation to identify the man God is calling to be our church's next pastor. That's a pretty important role, isn't it? Pretty important responsibility, and so we do. We want the right people to be on there. Here are the, and so let me say about the people that are here. You know, several, towards the end of last year, we had an opportunity to recommend people to the church council. I don't know exactly how many people were recommended, but it was a great bunch of people who were recommended. If I recall correctly, there was not anybody who was recommended that did not meet the qualifications. Now, the problem is we had so many recommended, we had more than we could use for a, uh, a committee. And, and so then the, the, the church council had to begin to think about how do we narrow it down. Well, one of the things that they began to look at is who were the folks that had more than one recommendation. So multiple people in the congregation said, I think this person's a good person to be on there. So that helped, but then there were also some other issues we had to look at. We, one of the rules for the pastor search committee is you can't have two family members from the same family on there. We wouldn't want, even if it's a great family and both members are great people, we wouldn't want one family represented two or three times on the pastor search committee. So there were some that got multiple recommendations, but because they had a family member who also got multiple recommendations, uh, they, they were said, hey, we got to pick one of these. And so your church council really did a great job. Here's what we don't. We don't want you to think about this as, hey, we're, we're voting for uh, Mr. and Miss Scott Lake Baptist Church. That's not, it's not a popularity contest. It really is a spiritual role. We want a good cross-section of who we are as a church family, people that we trust and that we, we know will honor the Lord, and, and we feel like each of these people are part of that. Every name on this list is a great name. Every name on this list meets the qualifications. We, the church council had no issues with anybody that was on this list. But let me show a little bit more how we're going to go about this. Read the ballot instructions. This ballot was developed to ensure the pastor search committee reflect a wide cross-section of our church's demographics. This committee has nine members. Church members will vote on one person from the 35 and under group, two people from the 36 to 49 group, two people from the 50 to 64 group, and two people from the 65-plus group. Two members of the committee will be selected at large by the church council based on the top two candidates with the most votes who were not selected in their age group, or if needed, the, two, the top two female nominees will be selected to ensure that we have a good representation of men and women on the church committee. So just look, if you have it, 
That first column there is 35 years old and under. There are four names listed there. What we're going to ask you to do next Sunday night is to mark one of those four names. We want one person on that, from, that, from that age group to be on the pastor search committee. And so everybody will vote once for one person on there, and then the church council, whoever it is, will, will uh, you know, tabulate all of those and see who the one person to represent that age group is. 36 to 49 years old, vote for two nominees. So you have five names in that column, starting with Jeff Burse and ending with Mary Wood. You want to pray about two names for that. Now, if you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for all five of those, you just need to know that that won't work because we're only taking two votes. So you need to have two out of that column. The next column, 50 to 64 years old, vote for two nominees. Again, there are five in that third column there. We need you to, to mark two. And then the last column, uh, 65-plus years old, vote for two nominees out of those four. So I told you that we had, um, we had uh, uh, some family members that were, you know, two family members from a family were nominated. The other thing is we went to everybody who was on this list and asked them if they were willing to serve on the pastor search committee. There were some folks that were recommended by the church that when they were approached by the church council said, no, I'd rather not do that. And so they, they were pulled out and removed. Not that they didn't meet the qualifications. They just said, no, that's not something I want to do. I, I don't feel the Lord leading me there. So that's how we're going to vote. We want you to prayerfully consider this. Everybody on this list, and in reality, everybody who was recommended was great. They met the qualifications. We were really pleased. There weren't, weren't anybody that we had to say, well, we can't put them on the list. They don't meet the qualifications. You did a great job recommending folks, and the church council did a great job putting this ballot together. So we wanted to take some time because of the importance of this to kind of walk through the ballot. I hope I've made it clear. If I have made it as clear as mud, I'll be standing at the back door in just a minute. We can talk one-on-one, -on -one, okay? I hope, I hope that helps. We'll be prayerfully praying over those this week, and then we'll be voting next Sunday night in the business meeting. Thank you so much for being here. Pastor Chuck, are you here to pray? I mean, not Pastor Chuck, Brother Chuck. <laughs> Pastor Chuck is here. Brother Chuck, are you here to pray? Or are you just here to be pretty? You'll pray, okay. <laughs> you can do both. You can be pretty and pray. <laughs> Brother Chuck, would you please close this service out and also pray for our offering, please, sir? Thank you, sir. Lord God, we do thank you for the time we gathered here. We thank you for this sermon and the message that you brought. Father, we do want to be salt. We want to be there to provide your word, to witness to others. And by doing that, you let our light shine. And Father, you know, I've asked you to light my path many times. So Father, I'm asking that you'll light Scott Lake's path, where you want us to go, what you want us to do. And Father, for the search committee, we just ask that you would uh, put it on people's heart to pray about them, bring the best people that we have here, and uh, so that we may elect that and search out the pastor that you have for us. For these things, Father, we give you praise and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.